Okay. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our live stream. Um, I hope you can hear us. Can you hear us? Okay. They hear us. All right. Well, <laughs> we're back with video and audio this week. And yes. thank you for all your good questions. We got a lot of good mm -hmm. questions today. So mm -hmm. I hope everybody's doing well. And let's, let's just dive into them. Yes. Let's see the first one. Yep. Wrong. From Anthony, mm -hmm. is mind vitality the same as what India in India they call prana, and what is the Chinese called chi or the Japanese ki? If so, why do the angels allow access to this vitality for fighting, like kung fu, and even war? I thought figured these would be guarded by the angels and only accessible for the good use and for healing. Then I see teachers from India teaching people how to access the prana to hurt themselves in Ch and China teaching foreign students Kung Fu to access this vitality for fighting. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, the mind vitality is holy. It's super substance, but human beings are allowed to use it. Just in the same way we can take up a rock and make it into a spear point and stab somebody. The archangels don't stop us from taking rocks and making weapons or nuclear bombs. This is all part of the plan. The plan is for humans to make choices, get the experiences from those choices, learn from those choices, mm -hmm. the consequences of those choices, good or bad. And this is how we raise our consciousness. This is how we uplift our awareness. So they're not going to deprive us of anything. Everything is given to us. It's just... It's not the thing itself, it's what we are doing with it. So it's the intention of the purpose of the person that makes anything good or bad. You know, with, with uh, stone and glass and wood, you can build a prison or you can build a palace. It's up to the intention of the builder. And it's the same thing with these, these energies, this vitality. And it is the same vitality. Chi, as in Qigong, Japanese Qi. Um, Riki, Prana, it's all the same, same thing. thing. It's all the etheric vitality, but there's many levels of it. So when we say vitality, we're talking about the energy, but we're talking about a very specific band, you can say that, and that's the creative ether. When you say the word vitality, we're talking about the creative ether. Okay. <laughs> yes. Chi, uh, uh, Prana, Reiki, Oh, prana, what else? Organ energy. That's all aesthetic vitality in many levels, as Daniel said. But one of the greatest gifts from heaven, each one of us, is a free will, a free choice. So we have a free choice how to use this abundant aesthetic vitality. So by making choice by our free will, we learn in the world of duality, in the world of, how can I say, polarity. So by comparing what we have done before and now or with other people, we study. And slowly, slowly fix it and learn what is the best way to use this life energy. So, 
not only fighting war, we can uh, abuse uh, this aesthetic vitality for kind of negative feelings or mm. negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. So we can't say this is super wrong or this is super good. We can't judge like that. But we learn through our own experience, you know, how to uh, the best way to use this energy, which is uh, evenly given from heaven. This one's from Mark. Many mystics, including Christ, were able to dematerialize and materialize at will. I've always wondered if this were with their etheric or astral bodies becoming manifest, or were they really were they really in control of atoms? In the researchers of truth, are there any paths of this type of math mastery? Well, yeah, they were, and they are. They can. Um, but Deskos always said, this isn't something you just can, once you learn this, you just don't do it because you're curious about it. This is only done for serious, serious reasons. And it only happens, for, for Deskos, when he spoke about it, he said, I only do it in the presence of a master. I have to be called and asked mm-hmm. to do this. <clears throat> so this is not just multidimensional tourism, you know, popping in and out of the dimensions in different bodies. Is it their etheric body, astral body, or were they really controlling the atoms? Well, it's all, it could be any of those. For example, if they want to manifest in the etheric counterpart of the material plane, they can do it. They can either do it from remotely or in that place. They can raise the vibrations of their material body to that of the ethereal, and they, they would disappear for you. But in manifestations, they can have... Uh, in the terms of the theory, there's like four different ways they can manifest. They can be at present, but you can't see them. You, they're not tangible. They can be present, but you can feel them. Or they can be semi-materialized where you can see them too. So there's different ways. They could go up out into their psychical body, out of their material body, out of their psychical body into the noetical body, and then come down some other place on the planet and rematerialize both the psychical and the material body. So there's, there's lots of things. That lots of ways that can happen. Now, this is the question: Is in the researcher truth? Are there any paths to this mastery? Yes, you're on them now. That's why we're teaching you. You can't do this unless you get mastery of the etheric double. So we're talking about the etheric all the time. Aki's giving these great meditations on how to master the etheric to use it consciously. Well, you'll never be able to do this kind of stuff, this high stuff, if you can't do the basics. So we have to learn how to use. Mm-hmm the kinetic, ascetic, and imprinted ethers of our etheric double first. Uh, the first question, uh, their aesthetic, uh, I've always wondered if uh, this were with their aesthetic or astral bodies becoming manifest or were they in control of atoms? Actually, that's your question. Actually, uh, once... Uh, the masters, really self-realized masters, uh, uh, Christ, of course. <laughs> um, once we self-realized, we can, of course, uh, control manifest uh, materialization and dematerialization at will. So, in a sense, they can manifest or materialize whatever they want, they wish to. 
they once they wish immediately manifested. So it doesn't matter <coughs> aesthetic double of the no aesthetic counterpart or each one of the, the atoms, they can do anything. They can become the animal, each cell of the animal, whatever. The plant, whatever. This is uh, uh, one part. And the other part, uh, we repeatedly say uh, cre creative ether, once we self-realize or even get closer to the self-realization after mastering kinetic, aesthetic, and imprinting ether, it creator naturally comes. Creative ether is uh, the power to materialization and dematerialization. So in the uh, Eastern teaching, uh, Creative ether is called Kundalini. So in general, people try to train to, you know, uh, to unfold uh, this creative without cleansing our centers well. And the creative ether is sitting at the base of the, the spine. But without cleansing, all other centers, once we touch or open it, in that place, there is unbelievable voltage of energy that's in it in each one of the human body. And the Holy Spirit and the Archangels are controlling perfectly, depends on the, uh, the level of their self-consciousness, development of their self-consciousness. But once our personality misuse it or abuse it, try to touch it without cleansing, purifying well, that's going to cause the disaster, mental sick or burn out the, the, the intestine or like uh, internal organs. There's so many troubles. So in this teaching system, we don't uh, try to expect to open up the creative ether. We diligently work on other three ethers, kinetic, aesthetic, and imprinting. Then slowly we will expect to flow it naturally. In this sense, is most important and our diligent work and it will come naturally. All right. This next one is um, on two parts. One is on healing. Is there any healing that the archangels deem too trivial? If a healing seems not to work, what can be the reasons? I know you speak of the karma of the person needing healing <clears throat> and God's will, of course, but can it be that we as the person trying to do the healing are simply not deemed good enough by God to help the other person? Uh, no, there's nothing too trivial. I mean, the archangels have complete control of our bodies and they're doing all kinds of minute healings that you're not aware of. And this is an interesting point. Daskal has had a lot of people, a lot of women who came and, oh, they have this, uh, this, this breast cancer. Doctors told them they have breast cancer. And um, 
the small spot or whatever they found. They have breast cancer. Daskalo said six out of 10 cases of that will heal themselves. Now, today with all this modern diagnostic stuff, they're able to detect things they never did before, so they really want to go and operate or use their, all their equipment to kind of treat it. It's part of the deal. But some things are better left, just left to the archangels. And this is one of them, for example, he's he's in. So nothing's too trivial. They're doing it all the time. And if the healing does not work, what's the cause? Well, the cause is karma. It really is karma. It's the law of cause and effect. The archangels can override it. Dasclos couldn't do it. No healer can override the law of cause and effect. So what we do is sincerely try the best we can. We pray diligently. We beg God, help this person. You know, we really try. And then we turn it over to God and say, thy will be done. If a healing occurs, what's it said? Dasclos said, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit, which means, and he said this, if you get a healing, it's not your, you as a personality doing it. Also, if you don't get a healing, it's not because you failed. It's just because it's not allowed at that time. However, we can become more skillful at our endeavor to facilitate a healing, which is something we should do. But don't blame yourself if some healing doesn't occur. And let's see. Yeah. You got something? Mm -hmm. I bet you do. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, as long as we pray sincerely and send a healing elemental to the person who needed help, you know, all masters or teacher, Daskaros, Archangels, Holy Spirit, of course, Christ, Rogers, they are, they are super self-consciousness, they are everywhere. And the planetary logos knows what we are trying to do. So no worries. As long as we create a strong, sincere elemental, they know. They know what we are doing, what we are trying to do, what we are wishing. But as Daniel said, the receiver of the healing energy, that healing elemental, we have to wait that person is ready to receive it. So sometimes, uh, if it's not ready because of the law of cause and effect, which in general called it uh, law of karma, if it doesn't allow, it doesn't work. It seems it doesn't work, but it touches our prayer is attaching to their kind of energy field. And once they are ready to receive it, it goes. So, once we do our own work sincerely, just forget and try three times. And if it seems it doesn't work, just wait until the person is ready to receive. Maybe uh, there are many types of healing. When we use kind of technique or physical method, we might be, need to be trained or improve ourselves, but uh, about the, uh, what we are trying to do, sending a ball or, or the, making a prayer to hear people, just do kind of sincere service, same sincere service. We have to change it, depends on the symptom, but uh, do our best. Sincere heart is the most important because they know. And Christine's second question is, 
when building balls of uh, light for healing, should this be done with eyes closed or open? If my eyes are open, I still don't see anything or I can't be sure with my material eyes. And that distracts me from focusing. But if I can see the balls with my material eyes, are they real yet? Are they doing anything if I can't build one strong enough to see it with my material eyes? Do you have some advice on that topic? Yeah, your intent creates it. You may not be able to see it with your material eyes yet. One day you will be able to. Uh, but it's just like everything else. It, it usually starts with the sense of feeling. You feel the ball. You can sort of feel the pressure when you put your hands together and make the ball. You can sort of feel the, the pressure of the ball on the inside of the hands. That's one of the first sensations you get. Uh, over time, you'll be able to see it. You can actually hear it because it makes a sound. Mm -hmm. And eventually, you'll feel like you're touching something quite substantial. But that's, you know, it takes a lot of training to get to that area. But even if you don't see it or you don't feel it that much, your intention is what's creating these things, what's creating these elemental. So your intention of helping and healing someone, even if it's not strong enough for you to see materialized, it's still going to the person to help them do exactly what you have in your heart and mind. Yes, as Daniel says, before we can visualize something, please more focus on focus on more on feeling. Feeling is first, and after that, slowly, slowly, uh, you know, develop uh, the ability of visualization. So, this is uh, one part, and uh, my answer is yes. Um, it's good to see closing our eyes. And also opening our eyes, both. Both is important. But at the beginning, please try uh, closing your eyes as we do in the exercise and try to see something. And once we, con con once we continue to practice to see something closing our eyes, eventually we will be able to see it even opening our eyes for example even if we are watching other things we can see it there just like we see when we close our eyes may i share my interesting story i would like to share an interesting story uh, when my son was uh, very little, like uh, four or five years old, uh, we've been practicing uh, esoteric practice together. And one day I told him to write, we have a lemon exercise, right? And one day I told him to observe the lemon, one lemon, he picked one lemon, and he continued to observe one lemon. And after observe his after observation he drew the picture of it every day and uh, we continued it uh, 10 days then on 10th day until then for nine days he was watching the lemon and uh, drew the picture of it but on 10th day i just uh, hid it and without watching the lemon he tried to make a sketch of it 
and what we found was surprisingly the one which he drew in the last watching was the closest to the lemon. So we were so surprised, but it means he saw the lemon, observed the lemon without with his opening eyes and drew the lemon. And that was the closest. Like that way, at that time, he saw the lemon watching other material objects, but he could see it clearly. That's why he could draw it. Like that way, we will have the ability of that. Nice. <clears throat> Sarah is asking, a clairvoyant person told her that she's psychically connected with many people, which is hindering, hindering her connection to her inner self. And if you have a lot of worldly connections, it limits the time you can focus on your inner self, the connection. So in some ways, yes, it can be a hindrance. And she goes on to say, I think he meant like an empath, since I can often sense their emotional state. How can I stop these unhealthy connections? Well, I mean, that's part of it. This is part of the territory. You're going to feel... Um, people's emotional states, especially it starts, it starts pretty soon subconsciously. When you work with the blue sphere on the solar plexus, it creates sort of this subconscious intuitiveness about other people's emotional states. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if Daskalos do that, he couldn't help them. He has to know what's bothering them. He has to know that. So really the question should be not how can I stop connections. How can I observe those connections without them influencing me? Because we're going to have to know what people are suffering from. And it's, I mean, physical connection or uh, connections uh, psychonoetically, we're going to pick up stuff. But th this is another good point about why we have to find out who we are. What's the difference between a being and an elemental? Because these things come at us as elementals. We sense them. We sense their elementals is what you're talking about. So. <clears throat> we have to do that. We just have to learn to be above it and not react to it or feel affected by it. But we're going to have to know these things about the people we're around. Okay. When we become, able, become to be able to see more and more things, <clears throat> it's everywhere. Uh, the spirit, you know, evil or good, everywhere and we can sense it we can see it and sense it and feel it but we have the ability ability to change the vibration of us so by changing our own vibration even though noticing uh, okay but it's up to us by changing our vibration if the vibration is different, then they can't access to our energy field. Please remember this important fact. We notice it, we know it, we sense it, but we don't focus on it. Then it's okay. Sarah asked another question. I listened to a few near-death experiences, and they're often mentioning seeing God or a hell in some cases. Are these experiences real? 
I remember Daskalo saying that we cannot go to a hell or paradise that we're not currently in. And I'm just wondering that there are so many near-death experiences, and they often talk about a paradise, but that would contradict what Daskalo said. On the other hand, if so many people are having the same experience, how is that, if that's not real, how could that happen? So, I mean, it's, it's not contradicting what Daskalo said. Daskalo said, when we pass over, we go into the psychonoetical world permanently, or even in sleep, or even in an out-of-body experience. We're not going to find some paradise we haven't known on Earth. We're not going to find some hell we haven't experienced on Earth. Hell, hells and paradises are conditioned. So when you hear about someone having a near-death experience and it's a paradise, that's not a contradiction. Also, hells and paradises, there's no boundary between them. They're not a locality. You don't have to go from one to another. You can go from one to another in a single day just in your emotional state or your mental state. So just because they often experience a paradise doesn't mean that they won't also experience, couldn't also experience their hell in these near-death experiences. But I'll tell you, the near-death experiences aren't exactly like the, the, the psychical experiences you have once your body dies and you pass over. And the reason of this is, is because most of our psychonoetical world, our thoughts, emotions, our desires, feelings, fears, all those things, they're associated with our life on earth. You go to the other side, you don't have to pay, worry about paying bills. You don't have to do all these things unless you think you do. But in that world itself, you're free from those. So when we cross over permanently, so many of our elementals are just lost because we're not in that world. We're not in the material world anymore. Um, let's see. What's the next part? And then the other thing is he says, yeah, hells and paradises. Well, the way the psychical plane works once you pass over is you this works under you know here on earth the, the, the main law is the law of cause and effect karma you know what you do you get back it's what you sow so shall you reap but in that world it's the law is the strongest part of the strongest law that's governed is, is the law of attraction and repulsion so nobody wants bad experiences right so they push them away they go away and they live their paradise. But their paradise may be somebody else. That's why we're saying hells and paradises. But that person may love that hell they're in. But to somebody else, it would be just torture. So keep that in mind. Daskos always told the story about a friend of his who went to a smoky coffee shop at night or bar and gambled and just wasted his life. And then he died. Daskalos sees him on the other side, goes to visit him. He's still in the same smoky bar doing the same stupid behavior. Daskalos says, oh, I want to try to show him something better. So he takes him out into a beautiful countryside. He plays this beautiful classic music. And the guy hates it. He says, let me go back. I was happy there. So it's, it's really a matter of what we're in harmony with, whether it, to turn, it, it is a hell or a paradise for us. You know? Uh about near-death experience, on near-death experience, the silver cord of them are connected. But when we pass on, really departed, then our silver cord is completely cut off. And actually, uh, near-death experience is purposely has done to tell us, show us 
there is no kind of permanent death, eternal death of something like that. To tell the truth of the universe, they just come back. So the experience when we really pass on and the, the experience when we experience as the near death is different. When we really pass on, we just sleep mostly, we just sleep and wake up in the world of hell or heaven, as he said. As we live there in this dimension, we wake up in that condition. So most people don't realize they pass on, most of people, not everyone. But the near death experience, they have a mission to come back and tell us, oh, I saw the, the tunnel of the light or flower field. Or, that's why they are purposely programmed to come back. That's why they experience the kind of same experiences, not to confuse people. That's why. That's one reason. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I have one more. Mm -hmm. Interesting uh, story. I'm sorry to talking about my private uh, story, but it's a good example. I really want to share it. My grandfather in Japan, he passed on when uh, before I was born 20 or 30 years ago. So I've never uh, physically met him. <laughs> but he was a typical, very stern Buddhist uh, grandpa as far as I heard from my father. And he was so strict and stern and people scared him. And he he was a Buddhist, but he doesn't really, he didn't really believe in God or anything. So everybody's scared, or even family member, you know, admire and stern, you know, scared a little bit, uh, my grandpa. And when he passed on, all relatives and the family that surround his body. And he seemed like uh, he passed on. So everybody cried. This is a story which I heard from my father. And my father and everyone was crying and calling his name. And suddenly he just <laughs> woke up and he always called the people uh, often. And so he started to scold all people gathered for him, saying, why did you guys stop me? I was flying with angels in the light. Everybody became speechless and couldn't believe what the, the, my grandfather told them, angel. The word angel is the last word which they could hear from his mouth. So my father said that was more shocking than he passed on. <laughs> Later, he told me this way, like that way. He passed on really, but he would have different experience when he really passed on. But he came back and told them and everybody, oh, Angel, there might be angel somewhere. <laughs> Laura is asking a question. Can I speak about 
well, can you please speak about the relationship of Daskalos with White Eagle? I know you once said in a seminar that it was also his teachings. Can you talk more about that? I've noticed that the tone and content of White Eagle teachings seem more tailored to American or English-speaking people than Daskalos's books, which feel more Christian and European. It reminds me of the Pentecost principle of being able to address all manners of personalities in a language and content they can relate to and understand. It's just so beautiful. I, so I wonder, what would he say now in the light of so many losses in the holy kingdom of nature and the insanity of the world of man? Thank you. Okay. Well, that last part's a big question. Uh, what she's talking about is that there's a, a set of books called White Eagle. There's a whole bunch of them. They're little tiny books, but they're real, real simple teachings. And most of it, a lot of it, is totally aligned with our teachings, teachings of Daskalos, but it's said in a much more kind of step-down way. And these books were produced by Grace Cook in England, I think in the 30s and 40s, something like that. Mm -hmm. 50s, maybe. From 1890s. She passed in 79. Okay, so she passes in 79. And then there's a big foundation that's, that keeps those teachings alive called the White Eagle Lodge. Now, a lot of people are using this name. So if you go Google it, you may get the wrong one. This is by Grace Cook. Make sure you're getting the right one. Because once she became popular, then a lot of copycats went and started saying, oh, I'm getting White Eagle. I'm channeling White Eagle, which wasn't true. Now, I show up on Daskalos' doorsteps in 1989, 10 years after she passed, and, you know, many years after she's been doing this. And her people had just been there. So the followers of, of her all of a sudden realized they found Daskalos' teaching, and they thought, wow, this seems very similar. <laughs> so they went to him and asked him. And he said, yes, it's me, but it took you a long time to figure that out. <laughs> So I can't say that it's purely Daskalos because when you have a person trying to bring in information, and I don't, I'll just say it that way, they color it with their filter. Some people are so pure, they can bring it in 100%, very seldomly. But there's, you know, Daskalos was bringing in, not channeling, but he was hearing St. John talk to him and he would just talk to us the way what St. John wanted us to hear. He said, I brought St. John in 100%. There's another guy in Greece channeling, trying to bring it, connect with Johannes, St. John, and bring his information. But he's only about 60%. And the difference is the person bringing in the information can color it with what they know, what they expect. All kinds of filters inside that personality bringing the information can color it, and they can absolutely send you in the wrong direction. But Greg's Cook, I feel, was somebody he knew from before, and they had a strong connection. So from what I've read, it's it's very safe to read uh, this White Eagles material by Grace Cook. Um, so I don't know. I wonder what he would say. You mean Daskalos or say, in the light of so many losses in the holy kingdom of nature and the insanity of the world of man. Well, he's told us what he thought. He thinks it's nonsense. The, the animal kingdom here isn't here just to eat. That's not why they put were put here. They're put here for us, but they're not put here only for our consumption of food. And obviously, man's humanity is against man's. It's 
has been going on for a long time and it's particularly hot right now. It's particularly active right now. So I know what he thinks. It's nonsense. And he says, all these troubles we're having in the world of man are caused by egoism, either personal egoism, national egoism, country against country, ideology against ideology. Now they're trying to create these race issues in America, which are totally false. But they're trying to, those forces that try to divide people into those kind of issues are not of the light. Listen to the one that speaks of love. It sings of love. who's trying to bring us all together. Those are of the light. Thank you. Lola, I have a the series of uh, Grace Cook's uh, White Eagles book. I loved it. It's uh, as you say, it's so simple, but it, uh, how can I say? Feel safe to read through and feel it. And I really loved that book. Before I started to uh, study the Daskaro's teaching, I read uh, again and again those books. And interestingly, I met after started to provide a, a studying circle or gathering of the Daskaros teaching, I met uh, more than a couple of people who knocked on the door of the studying circle of Daskaros. They were holding <laughs> the, the White Eagle book, holding and their book uh, most, mostly very worn out, but they, for them, they are the book was a kind of Bible for them and knocked on the door and interest started to interested in to study the Daskaros teaching. So whenever I see them, as I saw them, I felt like, mm, makes sense. Laura also asked that I had mentioned recently that a teacher I knew gave recommendations to keep one's eyes still and not moving around during meditation. Yeah, that's because when your eyes move, it creates impulses in your brain and it activates mm -hmm. brain. And you're, you're trying not to do that. So mm -hmm. you don't want to move your eyeballs or move your body around any more than necessary, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, in the Dallas system, is there a benefit to this practice at all? Well, sure, it's concentration. Now, one of the things Daskalos teaches a minute, little exercise is to focus yourself on your mind on one point. See a point in the room, just a point, and fix your attention on it and keep watching it for a certain period of time you designate two minutes. And in doing that, what you're going to discover, and in doing meditation, so you discover the same thing. The first thing is, is your eye will try to go away from it because it's so used to looking around and doing all day. So when you tell it to sit on something, it's not used to that. So it's kind of like an impatient child and it starts to look around. Once you master that, then the next problem is, is your mind starts to jump around. You may still be looking at the object to point, but your mind is jumping everywhere. So then that this is the second thing to, 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 uh, to concentrate. So it's the same thing It's we're just trying, you know, this, this one I've, method told not to move the eyeballs, he just taught concentrated meditations. And so to have a good concentrated meditation, we shouldn't move our eyes, body, head, 
or our mind and emotions around. We can't do that. It takes a lot of effort. You'd be surprised. Sit down. After this is over, sit down and for five minutes, just try to put your ob eyes onto some object and don't move them and don't move your thought from a, that subject. It's much harder to do than you think <laughs> you, you can. It's, and this isn't done by focus. We don't want any effort at all. You just focus without putting any tension to it. But you can do it. People do it. It just takes some training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Usually, uh, when we think, start to think something, the eyeballs are moving, even though we are not noticed it. So to stop the, the movement of the thought, of course, feeling too, the, physically, it's easier if we fix our eyeballs not to move and concentrate on one point brings us easy, easy state, easy condition to create complete observation state. Okay. Cortez is asking, I'm trying to remember to look this up in Daskalos Esoteric Teachings, if it's mentioned there, and it says I case, I don't know if that's in case, uh, holy monad, about the holy monads. Would it be possible to expand more on this? What is meant by it? You mentioned in your book, What is Love? Twin souls may come from the same monad. Okay, I'm going to answer that one before I go on. Mm. Um, holy monad. Yeah, the holy monad. Monad just means in the, the most individualized things. It cannot be broken down anymore, which is not exactly what the monads are. But uh, I think it was Pythagoras that came up with this. And the symbol of it is a circle with a dot in the middle. So you'll notice on the symbol of life in center number two, it's full of these little red circles with a black dot in them. Those represent the monad. As we say, God is absolute beingness because he's composed of an infinite number of absolute beings similar to himself. These are the monads. But in the middle, in the, in the monad, it's it itself is a beingness because it's composed with a bunch. Of, there's no number really given to it. A bunch <laughs> of eternal spirit beings. Never been born, will never die. They're all in oneness with God. They're in harmony with God. They aren't self-realized. That's the whole point of incarnation. But at this state, they're one with God. And when it comes time for a monad, for a spirit being in a monad to project itself, it comes out, passes through the idea of man on its way down here to earth to get dressed in three bodies, a mental body, an emotional body, and a physical body. That's the way the process works. Then he goes on to say... Um, well, that's a little different. Yeah, so the twin yeah. souls, let me finish the twin okay. soul part. Um, yeah, I didn't say it was twin souls. It, it, at the level of the monad, it's above the level of soul. It's, we could call them twins of spirit, sure. So when, when this happens, when number of spirit beings are projected from the monad down to incarnation, and if you happen to meet another one from your same monad, there's a tremendous affiliation, tremendous connection. This is above, you know, soul connections and past life connections and all that stuff. This is really high stuff. 
And it's because you've come from the same monad. But don't think that means you're exactly the same place because every spirit being coming out of the monad, they go through different experiences and they learn and they grow and they, they evolve, if you want to say that, or they open up, they start to realize more and more of the self, the self. So they're not exactly on the same plane and they don't necessarily need the same experiences. So you could meet one and have all kinds of conflict with them because you're not at the same place. So you can go ahead now, please. Okay. Did you did you talk all? Well, I want to go back to the second part of the question, but let's stop with that part. Then please complete it. I will follow that. Okay. Daskos also mentions for the works in the third degree, he says that sometime. The third degree is also used by the Freemasons. Is it possible to explain more? Yeah, they had this his comment about the third degree has nothing at all to do with the Freemasons. They have 33 degrees. But Daskalos, in creating his system, the system for the research of truth, you cannot believe the information this guy's brought through and put down. So he had to give it in, you know, a responsible way. You don't just give the most advanced stuff just because somebody comes knocking on the door and say, I want to study spirituality. You don't give them the most advanced stuff. That's just it's, it's not necessary. So he created the outer circle, the inner circle, circle, which has three degrees of students in it. There are three different degrees of students in that circle. And also the uh, innermost circle, which also has three degrees. So these are just levels of attainment, levels of consciousness developed by the students in those last two circles. The outer circle and inner circle doesn't have any degrees. It's the last two that have degrees, and they're not connected to the Masons. Please. Okay. So back to Holy Monad. Absolute, the God, absolute, manifested God, absolute, infinite beingness is made of, consists of uncountable numbers of holy monad and this holy monad is also consists of uncountable numbers of spirit beings spirit beings spirit beings and some of those spirit beings descend passing through the human archetypal idea of human being as a human being, descend to earth as a human being. But some of them, some of the spirit beings descend, passing through the holy spiritual uh, idea and become like a, a archangels. So we, each one of us, is the, in general, it's called the, tiny little drop of the ocean. It's really so. One drop of the ocean in quality, at the same quality of the huge ocean. Huge ocean is, is represents itself, life. But the, we are a tiny little drop of the ocean. But the quality is the same. But the quantity is different. So please understand like that way. We are precious. Each one of us is a precious spirit being. And uh, 
Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yes, doing so, about doing so, I have the same uh, understanding uh, with Daniel. Stephanie, hi, Stephanie. She has some questions. She'd like to know how dancing and singing, <laughs> chanting connects with the spiritual world. How does the Holy Spirit, the angels, archangels, and nature, for example, Native Americans do chanting and dancing that make the rain start, make the crops grow, and are so connected to Mother Nature. Hawaiians do chanting and dancing, and so other many other cultures. So how did God create the movement called dancing? Why are the dancing movements and how we speak in words are different with each country? Well, God didn't create the dancing. God created harmony, and the harmony is composed of rhythms. And human beings have attuned to those and move their body according to what they were feeling. Different cultures, different people, places, and times do it differently. So, in that sense, that's why. I mean, it's us connecting to some reality rather than God creating dancing movements that are different for different people. It's not that way. But it's a great thing. It's a very, very great thing. Um, I've known a fellow who could make the rain start. wasn't Daskalos, but he, he did make rain come when there were droughts. So the connection to Mother Nature, yes, it's all connected. We're part of Mother Nature. Nature, Mother Nature is part of us. So it's all one thing. And when you get into that degree of harmony, you can command, not maybe commands the wrong way. You cooperate. Let's say cooperate with nature, which is governed by nature spirits and the holy archangels. And you can cooperate them and produce effects like making the rain come or the rain come. I knew this Native American, and we actually, we, we went to a Sundance with this Native American medicine man. And one time they were doing it out in, uh, I don't know, Kansas or something. And they were doing this, this dance. And um, for Sundance, they pierced their pecs with needles. They used to be bones. And then they would tie themselves to pole, and they would fast for four days and dance for four days, chanting and dancing, no eating. And at the end of the day, they would pull that out. <laughs> Well, this is a really important process all, all these days. Sometimes they would lift them up in the air just off this thing. And uh, they were doing this dance and it was, you know, and all of a sudden there was this tornado. They got tornado warning coming right through the area they were. And they were like, well, should we stop the dance? What should we do? And um, they didn't know. And so they, the, the elders talked, said, well, let's just keep doing it and pray that the, 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 uh, uh, the, Tornado doesn't hit us. And so they just kept dancing and chanting and everything. And these things are extremely powerful when you're in one of these things. They're very, they build up a lot of energy. And they saw the tornado coming because it was a big, big open area. And they saw the tornado and they just kept dancing and praying, singing harder and dancing. And finally, the tornado actually split and went around them. <laughs> so for sure. But this, this is just humans connected to nature. We're all part of the same you know, all come from the same source, God. Nature and man come from the same source. So there can be a connection and there can be doing it. How did Moses part the sea? Well, he was in touch with the archangelic entities that the Gabriel, who are in charge of the water. And he could request them. I, they, they say command, but the command sounds a little stronger, like they're under our 
orders, but if you become attuned with them and become close to them, like one with them in vibration, you can ask them to do things and they will do it. Even when we pray for somebody else being healed, they do the work. Mm -hmm. Either they are an invisible helper. So it's like that. Chanting? Chanting is the same thing. It's just uh, the only thing about chanting is that in Daskos used to give everybody this warning was that he called people xenophobes, which means they like foreign things. So they would go to India and learn these chants and come back and chant them and meditate and chant. And he says, why are you doing this? And he says, well, because words from the Sanskrit language, and they have vibrations, which create a power. Yes, he said, that's true. But it's just a little, it's just a little effect on you. It's nothing compared to if you knew the meaning of the word, how you would relate emotionally to that. And more importantly is how noetically can you connect to that sacred word? Well, if you're going to India and you come back and say something, maybe they've told you the word, but you have to really connect to it, you know, connect to the meaning of it. So just chanting a word that you don't understand the meaning of is not that helpful. It's just like if you went to a Zulu back in the jungles of Africa and said, um, okay, this word is very powerful. It's the word love. Please repeat that word. Well, he would repeat it, but what, what effect would he have? He wouldn't understand it. Okay. Yes. Uh, for me, chanting and also dancing is just like a prayer. As we practice in Patreon's uh, lesson uh, meditation uh, we try to visualize and uh, attune ourselves to the, the vibration of God as high as possible as best as we can do like that way uh, dancing you know originally the nature of God the nature of life characteristic of life is in the movement and with real pleasure Life creates, you know, all universes in it by the movement. So as above, so below, we have a natural desire, the natural wish, primordial wish to make, create a movement. Everything is moving in this world, in the creation, but we naturally have the wish to make, create a movement to attune ourselves. Uh, to the highest of all. So I understand that dancing is the kind of prayer to attune ourselves to the highest energy, divine energy, by creating a movement as a microcosm, not using the, the microcosm. This is a, a, how I understand for dancing. For chanting, as Daniel says, we have a sacred instrument you know our voice the voice is created by a tan shape of ribs ribs and teeth and jaw so by the combination of all of the essence which we have as a material kind of parts we create a sound the vibration so by chanting from ancient period by creating the sound to attune ourselves uh, ourselves to the highest of all we just uh, uh, communicate it uh, then we communicate with the energy 
and the archangels, of course, in the nature or wherever. This is the method to communicate with the higher entities using our voice. So both of them are prayer. system, we make a prayer, visualizing, tuning, just like we exercise it. Stephanie also asked, can we explain about karma? Wow. Okay. There's good karma and not good karma. If you hurt others and it will come back to teach you. But is it always like that? If you hurt someone physically or mentally, is that because that person got hurt by someone else before? I know it's totally different stories with Dasklos and Joshua, but is karma always like that? We can understand something about karma, but even Dasko said, you can't understand everything about it because it's so, it's so, um, I don't know, complicated. It's, it's so subtle connections about it. And there's primary karma, secondary karma, tertiary karma off the same act. So it gets pretty complicated how all that plays out. And that's under, you know, the law itself, the law of cause and effect and how it plays out. And it's always perfectly given to us matching exactly what how we've upset the balance or what the bad karma we've created the, the consequence of that is always perfect however there are some people who come as like i don't want to call them sacrificial souls they're nobody sacrificing the soul but they, they come to sacrifice this life to help other people to maybe just show them this could be a totally disabled child uh <clears throat> people come to help people. And families, before you incarnate, at the top, as a soul level, you guys decide you're, what you're going to roles you're going to play to each other. Now, do those roles get played out perfectly in, the, in personalities of men and women? No, they don't. But they're, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to balance this thing. So somebody may come and give a tremendous lesson to another, and it looks like, wow, that person has a lot of bad karma. Well, you can't just look at people like that and say, well, they're suffering. They, uh, they must have done something bad. You can't say that because there's so many variations on it. If you could say that, then you could say, wow, Jesus Christ had the worst karma of all, right? I mean, look at the suffering he went through. But it's not like that. It wasn't his karma. He was trying to lift the karma of humanity. Same thing with Dasklos. In any self-realized being, and especially the 72, They've come, they've already worked out their karma. So they come and they back to earth and they get karma again, okay? They undergo things. But this time they're lifting the karma of others and shouldering it. And they're, the meaning that, that they understand about it's not the same as when you're first, you know, just getting karma on the nose all the time. This is something meaningful. They know what they're doing. They're trying to help lift the entire race one by one. So these masters... Uh, take on other people's karma. So we can't say that. I mean, take Daskalos had, um, I'll keep it short, but he was trying to heal this little child whose legs was fused to his chest and he, the doctors couldn't do anything. So slowly, slowly, he over all summer long, he managed to get the legs unfused from the chest. And the long story short, the kid's walking. Uh, shortly after that, he was walking back from the stoa to his house and he felt this thing and his foot hurt and he got back to his house he took his shoe off and his leg foot was black 
And his daughter, Irina, was, oh, we got to get you to the hospital. They take him to the hospital. The time he got to the hospital, it was black up to his knee. And the doctor came in and said, it's gangrene. We're going to have to, we got to cut this off tomorrow. Tosco said, okay. Okay. Now here he's healing all these other people and he's not healing himself. And so he said, well, I'd like to just meditate here on this before you cut my leg off. And I said, okay. So he meditates and he says, God, this is my leg, but it's your leg too. And if you think it should be cured, then cure it. Let it be cured. If you think it should be cut off, let it be cut off. Now, can you imagine having that kind of obedience to the divine will? <laughs> it's pretty heavy. So the moment he said that, he said, I felt a gentle wind on my face. And, I, and an angel materialized next to him and started stroking his leg. He said he didn't pay any attention to Daskalos. He just kept stroking the leg. And when he was done, the angel disappeared. It was black, except for one small spot of black on his leg. The doctors came in and were like, what? <laughs> so they sent him home. And the next day, the spot was healed. So you just can't tell what when somebody gets carrying it for somebody else or they're showing other people they're part of their lesson to teach the other people or, or what it is. Um, but you say it's totally different with Daskalos and Joshua Emmanuel. It's not exactly totally different because when you incarnate, Christ passed through the idea of man and incarnated on earth as a human being. And he felt everything the human beings were feeling. But he's still under the law of karma. Now, of course, he was perfect, so he didn't make any karma. But... Um, there's an archangel, those of you who know the story of the archangel who came as Elijah the prophet and again as John the Baptist. While in incarnation, even as an archangel, perfect archangel, incarnating, even he is under the law of karma. So he did some things that hurt other people. So in the John the Baptist's life, he had the karma to have that come back on him. So no one escapes the karma. They are doing it for a different reason. Definitely they're doing it. Joshua and Daskalos are doing it for a different reason, but they're still under the law of karma. Yes. Uh, in general, uh, when we hear the word karma, it sounds like a very heavy, negative, kind of have to pay off or compensate. But actually, uh, karma, what we call karma, is the law of cause and effect and uh, each one of us has program has program in us of this the law of cause and effect so it's uh, sometimes it works uh, for the what we sense good things you know when we do good but the good or bad is our judgment so we can't say good or bad by the scale of our personality uh, perfectly. But the, we are moving on following the the divine circle of possibility and probability under the perfect law of cause and effect. So whatever we do to the world or to other people returns back as the, the response of which we do. So like that way, 
the law is perfect. So please don't be scared or uh, annoyed by the word karma. It's just a law. And one important advice is when we change the vibration of right now, the way of our thinking, way of our feeling, the way of our behaving, once we improve or uplifted our vibration, the what we call karma, the law of cause and effect, can be changed or modified in a perfect way according to our present expression. So we have a chance right now how to express ourselves. Of course, we have to you know balance it comes perfectly, but we can modify and modify or change by the way of our personality, expressing our personality. And one more thing, please remember not only the law of cause and effect, divine mercy is always working in universes. And the invisible helpers in the 70s, this are working according to this divine mercy. So we are all guided and protected under the perfect divine law. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Can I complete the answer sure. for the, I'm were. sorry, uh, Stephanie's first one, why uh, the dancing and, and how the, how we speak the word, how we speak and the words are different in each country. Mm. Uh, please look at your body. We have one body, right? For example, we have the part of face, hand, even the brain, legs. It's all functioning and they are all functioning, expressing life. But they have a, we have a different body, but completely different. The cell of our stomach is completely different with the cell of the liver, hand. But they all function operating, harmonizing, it's just like an orchestra. Like that way, we have a, a variety of expression. It's allowed us to express it as we wish. So that's why we have a different uh, languages, different way of dancing, different way of thinking, different way of feeling. But it's all the sound and the vibration creating the divine symphony. So it's up to us how to harmonize all together. <clears throat> Jeff is asking, now Jeff's a Buckeye. He's from Ohio. That's what that means. <laughs> he's asking, um, he's saying there are various times through the question and answer that we've been reluctant to speak about some of the more controversial topics happening in our world today. A suggestion would be to create a researchers of truth group on Gab where free speech is still available without the risk of being kicked off. 
like I said, it's just a suggestion. I think a lot of us would love to hear your uncensored thoughts. Hmm, that's an interesting idea. Um, <clears throat> yeah, free speech is being wiped out. I mean, uh, YouTube will cancel your videos. Amazon will cancel your books. Um, I think Bill Gates wants to cancel us all. Anyway, I'm open to that idea. Somebody else uh, followed with your thought. I don't see it here, but they, they said they would like the idea. So why don't maybe if you guys would like to see that, please send us an email. Let us know if there's enough interest. We'll do it. And um, yeah, why not? Okay, then Eric, you don't you want to say something to that? <laughs> yes, of course. Okay. Say something to that. <laughs> That's all what you want to say. He's just asking about setting up a channel, yes. and I'm saying, yeah, if there's enough interest, let's do it. That's hmm. my answer. What's your answer? Okay. Uh, my focus, uh, to be very honest, uh, my focus is uh, um, something more neutral, uh, middle path. And the next week, probably next next week, we're gonna up uh, we're gonna upload uh, the meditation uh, to boost our immune system in the world. Uh, some people we need a vaccine. Some people. Oh no, no vaccine. No, we have a completely different opinion. Don't say that. Mm. Yeah, but uh, what we are providing uh, as a researcher of the truth uh, as a middle path. Uh, you know, we all, all what we all need to do is boost up our immune system, regardless to taking vaccine or not taking vaccine. We all need to appreciate our Holy Spirit and Archangels in our cleanse our body and boost up our immune system. So I myself would like to focus more on this, what we all can do to improve our health. But you just talk about the, the principle of the king, the middle one, the middle part. Mm. Sure, yeah, it's just... You know, the Buddha taught the middle path. Daskalos said everything in moderation. Christ talked about it. It's the way to go. It's it's like the Percival thing in the Knights, uh, the Holy Grail story, where Percival's the only guy that finds the Holy Grail, and he does it by going through this valley. Now, his name means, Percival means he who splits the valley. In other words, you don't go to either extreme. you got to go right through to the middle of it. That's a good process. It's definitely the way we should approach life, not, not excessive either way. Not in denial, not in overindulgence. Yet we are researchers of truth, and we are citizens of two worlds. So we have to research the truth in the outer world and the inner world. And we talk mostly about the inner world. We have talked 90% about the inner world. Mm -hmm. But we have to research what's going in our world around us now. Now, you can go out there and you can, oh, vaccine's bad. Oh, vaccine's good. <laughs> you can see all these polarities, right? Christ said, say yay or nay, because everything else is the devil. Now, I hear people say, oh, how can you tell what the truth is? It's every, Both sides are releasing all this false information about this, this particular stuff. How can we tell the truth? We just Let's just leave it, because we can't tell. We're not capable. That's, that's wrong, too, because Christ said, 
because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, it sounds really heavy, but what he's saying here is if you don't make a decision, if you don't claim your life, your soul, you have to make a decision. We can't just ignore things and let everybody, you know, a lot of people, this is what's really the problem right now, is everybody's just listening to what they're told the truth. Christ said, seek the truth, and the truth will set you free. That means we're supposed to find it ourselves. We're not supposed to just listen to what the public radio tells us the truth is, or TV, or social media, or mainstream media, for God's sakes. We have to research it, and we have to research in other other locations other than just the mainstream narrative. So, yes, we seek the middle path, but at some point we have to choose, is this right or is this wrong? We have to make that choice. But please always remember uh, what is good for all of us. And this is the way, this is the point in the middle, what Christ taught us. Find the middle point. This is the way to the, the state of true light. Yeah, the middle way, but not being lukewarm, being decisive. Yeah, it's being not a, it's, it's not, it's not, not look things, but the, there is a point there, absolutely calm and uh, no controversial opinions and anything which brings us uh, ascend to the real right. <laughs> okay, Eric, my man, he's asking when we leave the material body. You explain the difference between entering the etheric counterpart. Can you explain the difference between entering the etheric counterpart of the material world and going into the psychical world? What is the process you use to achieve one over the other? <coughs> um, <clears throat> well, it's just a level of vibration. It's intention. The process is your intention. What do you intend to do? Now, um, one of the things you've, you've asked many questions about our experiences and, and nothing wrong with that, but the problem with us answering those is it sets up the expectation that it's the same thing for you. <laughs> you know, our destination, absolutely the same. The tests, some of the tests that we go through are going to be exactly the same in terms of principle, but the exact playing amount are going to be different from everybody. So if I say, well, I go into my room, I light some incense, I ring a bell, I breathe three times through this nostril or that nostril or whatever, and then I go out of my body. Then you're all going to go in there and try to do that. Because, but that's not the way it's going to work for you. And um, I'll tell you one little story that happened to me. One night, a long time ago, with the previous uh, partner, uh, we used to meditate at the end of the day, every day. And we had two chairs. We would meditate in those chairs every day. And one day, I said, okay, let's go meditate. It's time. The sun's going down. And she, oh, I want to watch TV. And I went, well, no, no, let's meditate. I want to meditate. She wanted to watch TV. So back and forth a little bit. And she finally decided to go watch TV. And I decided to meditate. So I'm sitting there meditating, and I was having a great meditation, but still, I've got this thing, I, maybe I should have gone watch TV with her. I still have that thought, that intention. That, oh, maybe that was the best place to go. So I'm sitting in a chair, and within like six, seven minutes, I don't know, very soon after I went in my meditation, I popped out of my body, and I went in front of the television with her. And it was so jarring. It was a terrible experience, because TV was blaring, and I just came out of the meditation. But it shows you that your intent takes you to there. 
when you're in the psychical world, either out of your body or material world, out of your, I mean, uh, or out of your body permanently in death, it's your intention that produces the experience, that produces that kind of thing. Now, you could come out and just be into the etheric, vibe, uh, etheric counterpart of this world. That's the degree of your focus. This is where you want to be. So you're intending for this. So it's all about intention. But, but again, it, telling our experiences, it's just misleading. It's like this. There was a tribe, a very simple tribe that lived close to a river one time. And it was just kind of a normal tribe. But there was one guy in there that really just wanted to know the mysteries of life. Who am I? What is there? Where am I? What's this all about? He wanted to be enlightened. And um, one day he comes walking back to the tribe and he says, I received the enlightenment. And the tribe all gathered around him and they, they, they had a party where, you know, he brought food and a nice fire and he tells us about it. And so he talked and talked and talked about all these great things he understood from his enlightenment. And he said, well, how did you do he, I was just sitting on a rock in the river and I was eating this artichoke. And then boom, it just happened to me. And then it's like this and this. And he talks and talks and pretty soon he, people are getting tired and they start to fall asleep one by one. And then he finally is so tired, he falls asleep. He wakes up the next morning, the entire tribe is gone. They're just nowhere to be found. He looks in the huts, nobody's there. He looks around the village a little bit, around the edges, nobody's there. He goes down to the river, and every one of them are sitting on a rock eating an artichoke. The point is you can't follow somebody else in it, it for somebody else's way. There's some basic things there, but your experience of it will be completely different. I have a question. So when you get out of your body at the time, mm -hmm. was it the counterpart of the material world or your psychoanalytical shock? It was the theory counterpart of this material world. So exactly. I was really in the room, out. I'd gone out of Good. that room into another room. Did you just make sure afterwards? Yes, I sure did. Okay. Okay. <laughs> mm. Because his question is how to know, how to tell the difference. I'm, well, I'm to, the difference is the attention creates the difference whether you end up in the theory by counterpart or into the psychonoetical world. It's your intention where you're focusing on. Yeah, but the how we can know and tell the difference between oh, this part. It's, it's very easy. Daskalos used to teach this to the students. He would take them out into the psychonoetical world, the counterpart of the, like their room or something. And he would say, move the chair. And they'd take their hand and move the chair. Now, he didn't explain this. He just gave them the experience. Then he might take them into the theory counterpart of the material world. He'd say, move the chair. And they see the chair, the hand goes right through it because they're not vibrating at the same level of vibration. So if you can move things around, you're in the psychonoetical world. If you can't move things around, you can walk through walls, you're in the theory counterpart of this world. And I've had that as those experiences. So I'm saying it from my own knowledge. Mm -hmm. Through my knowledge and experience, uh, when we go to, <laughs> when we get out of our body, to the aesthetic counterpart of the material world, uh, most of the, like in the most of the case, we can't touch or move, as he says, unless we have the guide or teacher's guide, or unless we are very developed, close to 
self-realization. Then at will, we can do whatever we wish. But most of the case, so in, when we get out of body, and the aesthetic counterpart of the material world, uh, we can't uh, touch or move things unless those two conditions. But when we get out of body in psychoanalytical shell, actually it's shell, it's not the real psychoanalytical. Most likely we got out psychoanalytical shell, which means it's our it's in us. We can if we wish or think or feel we can do it then we can touch or even pass through. If we think like that way, we can pass through, we can pass through. But if we wish to touch, we can do as we wish, it manifests as we wish. So after you have, when you have experience, you can verify or make sure if your experience after out of body seems like you you feel like you are out of body, aesthetic counterpart of the material world. Body, uh, material world. After that, after you're coming back to your material body, you can make sure the position of the the material things and the the condition which you experienced was really happened or not. If it's not happened or the position is different, definitely you went to the your your own psychoanalytical shell. Now, Linda here asks a really great, interesting, deep question. Her question is, have human beings currently incarnated, incarnating on Earth all been incarnating from the exact same time? For example, we all have been incarnating since the time of hermaphrodite, atoms, or from the time of the caveman, for lack of a better word, or is the process of incarnation more staggered? Could some be having their first incarnation more recently than others? Or is it part of the divine plan that all human beings incarnate, go through the beginning as the atoms, and gradually go through the different levels of development from caveman onward? Some incarnated human beings, like Daspos, seem to have developed much faster from others and from such early incarnations. It makes me wonder why we some could hold on to their real inner self so strongly while incarnating so many of the rest of us uh, let that real self get covered up by egotism. Yeah, this, that's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, of course, it's divine plan for all of us to come as a mathematic split as we incarnate on the planet. That's the first incarnation, but the subsequent incarnations, you just simply go back to the noetic and come back out. You go back and forth. You don't go all the way back to the spirit. Um, but it's, it's something to do with mathematics. I mean, there's so many souls in the life stream called humanity, right? Well, they all can't come in the beginning because there's not enough people procreating to create bodies for the people. So it has to start slow. But they all come down through the same process. They all come down through as an atom on the first incarnation. 
but then some stay in the higher worlds until there's a place prepared for them. So the more people there are, the more chances for these souls to take a physical incarnation. They're still incarnated in the hyconoetic worlds, but they're not physically incarnated. So after their physical death, they go back to the psychognoetical worlds and then eventually to the noetic state. And that takes some time. And then they come back out of there when they're, it's time for them to have their next incarnation. And they wait in the psychical plane until the conditions are proper and they find the right parent thing and it's all guided and it happens. So now, think about now. Now is the time on earth, right? I mean, 8 billion people almost. Now there's lots of opportunities to incarnate. So people are incarnating faster and faster now. Let's see if I got all these. <laughs> but yeah, we go through the level of cavemen. We, we start at the, very, the basic level of cavemen. And why? Well, we have to go through five levels of consciousness. The instinctive, subconscious, awakening conscious, superconscious, self-superconscious. Okay, so... Humanity is processing through all that. And really, most of humanity are still in the subconscious level. They've come out of the instinct. They're not living like animals like the cavemen did. But we're not fully awakened, even though we think we are. We're not. So this is the thing now. So we're, we're here at this time where lots of people are incarnating. And um, about the Daskalos seems to be developed much faster. Well, every time a planet, and it's not just Earth, planet in the physical universe, anytime a life stream of humanity comes to that planet, they're not just, God's just not sending out his, his instinctual children into the wild dangerously without having some plan, right? There's a plan. So not only do we have the archangels, the companion archangels, we have all this stuff, but there are also a certain number of previously self-realized beings who come to help our planet. They've already worked it out on their planet. So they're self-realized. So they come to help this planet. And these are the great ones in, throughout history. They do all these great things. We say, wow, those guys are great. Those are geniuses, right? And well, Daskalos was one of those. So it's not that he worked it out in this lifetime early. He came to the planet with this, but he couldn't incarnate right away because the cavemen weren't looking for guidance. They were just trying to eat and keep being. So they had to wait till there was enough experiences where the caveman first thought, where am I? <laughs> what is this? Who am I? Where did I come from? Oh. Then they started having those kind of thoughts. Then these, beings who are around the planet, but they haven't mm -hmm. incarnated yet, they're invisible, the planet and incarnate to help mankind. And they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. The whole planet becomes self-realized. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone on their first incarnation on the planet now? No. But there are some in the very first few incarnations. Mm -hmm. Because you think about it. I mean, there's, there's wild jungle people that we haven't even met living in the Amazon or in Africa, maybe, probably the Amazon. Um, the Amazon has the size of India that has not even been explored. So in there, there's some people in their first incarnations living the caveman kind of life, the primitive man life. But there are some in the first cycle, you know, first level of the consciousness, like instinctive level. 
Now there's the mm -hmm. second incarnation of the first level of incarnation. Yes, yeah, this yeah, is what I third. mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're all those guys are in the in the jungle are in the first level of, yes. of uh, consciousness called instinctual. And they're no different than the animals, really. They're very little difference until they start thinking. And, you know, the life experiences of being eaten and trying to eat, you know, that gives them experiences and the relations and fighting and all, all the stuff that primitive man does gives them enough experiences where they start to have these deeper questions and then it proceeds from there. Did, did you answer that she's asking that the, 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 the incarnate all together? Oh, I, just, no, I just no, answered that. Time, I just answered that. It's, it's successive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just, this is not the question, but it's just, I want you to think about this. <laughs> um, nobody gets liberation until everyone on the planet, every human being gets liberation. They all have to get it together. One can't go and take their liberation and never come back. They think they can. They start doing that and they get real remote. But eventually they discover, gee, every other human being is me. I can't leave me behind. I can't leave my love behind. I can't leave a family mm -hmm. member behind. They're all family. We're all family once they get to that level. So they all return. This is what in the East they call bodhisattvas. They all return to help lift everybody up. So we have a long way to go before this person's the wild jungle person now reaches their full enlightenment. Mm. Yeah, that's why when we seek the truth or self-realization, just for our own purpose, just thinking of our own benefit without thinking of others, it doesn't work because the universe itself is not functioning like that. Thinking of others, of course, we have to love God in ourselves, we have to love, take care of ourselves, but together with that, we need to care other people as we want to be treated. This is a great teaching of Christ because as we talk, you know, universe is functioning like that way. We have to attune this <laughs> dynamics and attune to that kind of love and mercy. Universe is Ah, moving on uh, under the divine contemplation with love and mercy. Mm. Uh, yes. Uh, Last uh, question? No, I didn't finish my. Oh, please, please finish yours. Yes, I will. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, so. He mentioned about the, the first level of the consciousness, which is an instinct, a little bit subconscious, but the, the second level of our uh, consciousness, developing second level, uh, is like a subconsciousness. Subconsciously, we are living, repeating kind of same pattern or what we learned before we repeat. Most of human beings are in this stage. We have five stages. But most of us are belonging to this, the second level of the consciousness, a cycle of the consciousness, which is still we are living in, uh, living subconsciously and uh, being attracted by material things. But after that, we're going to live consciously 
when we realize, you know, ah, mm, they might have more important things. And we will have another higher level, which we can use a super senses. And then the final level, fifth level, is a self-realization. So like that way, we have been developing by doing what? By reshaping our amorphous psychonoetical body into perfect one, perfect shape. So we are on the process of shaping and completing our psychonoetical body, which means our personality, the way of thinking, the way of feeling into the perfect, harmonized way of life. This is what we have been experiencing in many, many incarnations. But the spirit soul of Daskalos or other masters, the 72, invisible helpers, are already self-realized in other planets already. And they had a mission and start to incarnate on this planet to help and support us, you know, other human beings with love and mercy. That's why, um, kind of, how can I say, the scholars and the other masters, at the starting point is a little bit different. That's why it seems like developing very fast, but actually they are already self-realized. But by their wish, with love and mercy, they wish to reincarnate having a perfect psychonoetical body to ensure other human beings' pain or struggles, whatever, to serve themselves for divine purpose. So, but eventually, after self-realization, we will do, we will work like them. Okay, the last question from Patrick. <clears throat> he states secular science is based on openness. Hmm. It used to be, and it should be. He says this is something people expect nowadays, but we're, we're really not getting the openness in science. What's told us is science. Science is there. But what we're told, what we the only one thing we listen to is what the media tells us the science says. You know, for example, I'll just take one. I won't even take the obvious one. But, oh, global warming, Al Gore, global warming, hockey stick, it's going to burn us up, global warming. After a while, they realized it wasn't really happening like that, so they changed it. Now it's called climate change. But they still talk about global warming. And do you know that in the 30s in America, it was a lot hotter than it is now. And do you know now, this is the most ice we've had on Greenland for a tremendously long time. And I think the Arctic too is gaining ice more as well. So what the secular public is being told of science is, is not actually true in all cases, some cases, of course, but not in all cases, there's agendas. So what we're being told science is, is saying has been manipulated to to support their narrative. I won't go any further with that. We'd have to do that on Gab, but anyway. So anyway, 
then he says, this is why it should be very interesting to know all the reasons why the system of research of Daskalos and the researchers of truth are not based on the principle of full openness and sharing of all knowledge there is to be known. Wow. Well, that's a little bit to me like going to a university and saying, um, I want to subatomic physics. They said, great, sign up here. First, you got to take these math courses. No, no, you're hiding that. You're not being fully open. I want to know about subatomic physics. Well, how can the school teach you what subatomic physics is unless you've had the courses on what an atom is? you got to know what the atom is first. And to know what the atom is, you have to study physics. So Daskalos is not hiding anything. He's responsibly giving it to people who are ready and willing to use it for positive. Because there's a bunch of them that came to him who wanted the information to use it for negative. So to those people, he didn't give it to them. And he could read them. He could tell them. So he set up, as I said in the beginning of this show, outer circle, inner circle, inner more circle, three degrees, innermost circle, three more degrees. So he set this up to give everything he knew, everything he brought through for us, but in a systematic, safe, logical way. There, I mean, if, if you, if I stuff that was in the innermost circle, nobody would understand it. You have to look for teaching first before we, we can get that far. So there is no, don't imagine some kind of hiding thing or they're not being open or something like that. It's just this stuff is fire. Some of this stuff is fire and fire can heat water, make you warm, or it can burn you. And people have been burned by trying, getting a hold of information and trying to practice they advance stuff before they're ready. They get hurt. They really do get hurt. And now by hurt, I mean schizophrenia. They get confused. They can, they can, all kinds of bad things can happen. So you have to be ready. It's like if you go to a gym, you don't try lifting 300 pounds right away. You have to work up to that. It's the same thing with the teachings. Daskalosis loved everybody. He wanted everybody to understand this and know this. But you have to do it in a systematic way. Mm. Well, thank you for everybody. We went oh, sorry. <laughs> like always. <laughs> Aki will say goodbye now. Answer the question. Not yet. Okay. I have not answered yet. I know. I know. <laughs> Be patient a little bit more. Uh, yes, uh, my answer is this. Teaching says... Since most of the majority of human beings of the consciousness is still in the second level of the development, I, we told five levels, right? But the, most of us on, the human, on this planet is belonging to the second level, attaching ourselves to the material things, to seek our own benefit or to gain the status of money, whatever power, we call it power. In, if we know the ultimate truth, truth of truth, which science has not discovered yet, what's gonna happen? On the human being's history, it already happened as Atlantis. They didn't develop uh, the heart center. They developed the medical center a lot, but they, they couldn't develop the heart center. At the beginning, they were developed and matured 
but they, they fell down and cold land sank into the ocean. Who made this? Who made this what we call disaster? It's a divine plan because the, all the knowledge, high technology, everything sank down under the ocean over the night. Please, we should meditate on that power which caused this kind of termination. Then we can tell, you know, we, the teaching is not hiding, as he said, anything. They are love and mercy. They are watching us and for us to use it for the safest way, for the benefit of all human beings. Good. <laughs> no, we can say. No, no, I have something else. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> you know, nobody ever asked Daskalos this question quite so pointedly, but it did come up, and they would, oh, give us the, give us the, the, the keys. We want the keys to how this all works so we can open the doors and have these experiences. And he goes, I'm giving you the keys all the time. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference about the key. He gave us the key. He didn't really un reveal the secrets. He gave us the key and he wants us and, he, and the knowledge how to use it. He wants us to work with it to open those doors ourselves because if we can do it that way, it's going to be safe. And that's what he is. The reason you're asking why the reasons it's not all just dumped out like that. It's because he loves us and he doesn't want us to get hurt. And he always followed it with this analogy. He says, you don't give razor blades to a child because he asked mm -hmm. for it. Can I share your movie? Yes, I feel <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same way. Uh, through my own experience, even if we ask some uh, question to Daskalose, he doesn't give, uh, through my experience, doesn't give us, give me direct kind of boom, boom, boom. But I sense and experienced many, many, many times uh, love for me to find the answer from myself uh, tangibly. So it's not just like uh, receiving, 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 or asking and receiving. It's not like that. He gives us the opportunity to seek uh, the, the answer. And uh, we find it as if we found it. I sense they are on this point. Well, thank you for coming. I know I got another long one again. But <laughs> yes. Your questions, we appreciate you and Godspeed. Thank you very much for your sincere questions. Uh, we really love to see and uh, try our best to answer your questions. God bless you. See you next time. See you next time. Have a beautiful day.